0: Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are going to be doing another special edition of our Fall of X podcast, where we break down this week's issues of Fall of X, the X-Men titles from Marvel. This week we're going to be talking about Immortal X-Men number 14, Written by Karen Gillen, art by Lucas Wernick, and Children of the Vault number one, written by Dennis Camp, art by Luca Maresca. Now, just a little note: there was another X Men issue that came out, which was Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Weapons of Vengeance number one. We speculated a little bit about this last week. It is not Fall of X related. It's not a Fall of X title. But still, check no. it out if you want some Wolverine, Ghost Rider action. But we're not going to talk about it here. Who cares? You know.
1: That's no, it's not part of it. It's not, there's no fall. They're just no. having some fun. That's part yeah. of the fun of X is what they're doing.
0: Right. And they got a lot of fire going, and fire, you know what happens with that? It rises. The fire also rises, etc. cetera, that sort of thing. What? What? Yeah. Uh, yep. What was quick little bane. Was that don't a bane? About. Was I, that a bane? Got to do it like this, the fire also rises. Ah, nice. Is that better?
1: I don't know I'll if it better. I'll keep it. Was better, it. But you but know, it's different. I'll do
0: the rest of the podcast with my really good Bane voice and we'll see whether anybody ever tunes it ever again.
1: Here's how that was Alex. (laughs) (laughs) My reaction was showing a picture of professor Charles Xavier from the first page of the, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Do you mean professor
0: Kieran Gillen? Is that who you mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's straight up a drawing of Kieran Gillen. So, Obviously, we're going to talk about spoilers here. If you haven't read the issues, please turn away. We're going to jump into them. But do you want to start with Immortal X-Men? Because that feels like, I mean, they both That's the big. chunk. That's the chunk. That's the chunk one. So this one is picking up directly after the Hellfire Gala. Professor X, still his st- job is definitely Beach. This his issue. job is Beach. <laughs> yeah, I know. i yeah, joked about sort that of, before.
1: He's sort of, uh, he's a Ken. No doubt mm-hmm. about that. 100%. Uh, he's fun. Uh, fun. He's sad. I guess he's the
0: fully saddest Ken. Yes, he's sad. Ken. He is on the beach protecting Krakoa, who he is now the only resident of from literally everybody else, particularly Orcus and Sebastian Shaw. And that's the other part of the storyline, we get to see Sebastian Shaw completely immediately give up being a mutant because he thinks he now owns Krakoa. He does but he doesn't get the resources of Krokoa. He doesn't have the mutants because they're no longer there. He just has the land. That's it. Like classic Lex Luthor movie style land grab opportunity going on here. Yeah. Uh, And then at the end, we get a big teaser where we find out Not where all of the mutants have gone to, but we find out that 250,000 or so of them, the ones that were on Krakoa, were all sent somewhere. They're in a desert right now, and at the end of the issue, they're being led appropriately by Exodus, as well as hope and destiny.
1: I mean, the hope (laughs) and Exodus leading the X-Men through the desert, I was like, yo, on (laughs) the nose,
0: gang. (laughs) I didn't mind it. I mean, if we want to jump to the end there, because... We've already talked a lot on the previous two episodes of this dedicated podcast about speculating, yeah, these mutants probably are dead. And even in this issue, Professor X sat on the beach. Emma Frost hits him up telepathically and is like, you don't know that they're dead. And he says, no, they are. They're 100% dead, definitely dead. And then we find out a huge chunk of them aren't here, but. I don't mind the idea of Exodus, a character that, full disclosure, I don't quite understand anyway. Leading yeah. into his name and becoming the Moses who is going to lead the mutants out of the desert.
1: Well, it it does feel like this was maybe the plan from the beginning with Exodus of the beginning of the um, all the Krakoa era of X Men mm-hmm. because I was like, why is he around? Exodus is a character who we first met as like one of the ac- Magneto's acolytes, right? Sort of mm-hmm. the very so, yeah. uh, the biggest believer in Magneto as the his savior, the savior of the X Men. He was up on asteroid M, hanging out, powerful, sort of heavy for Magneto back in the day. But he's been on Krakoa in such a power position. I'm like, why he has no inner life? He's no <laughs> character qualities. He's just there. And now I'm like, okay, I see. He's sort of becoming a Professor X figure for these mutants who are lost in the desert, literally and figuratively.
0: I also love the move, which feels like a very Kieran Gillen way of framing it at the end here, where Exodus tells them, there's a promised land. Come follow me, mutants. We're going to walk this way. And Hope says, wait, how do you know there's a promised land? And he says, I don't, but I have faith. And playing with these ideas here, this is something that I think Kieran Gillen has been playing with a lot over the course of his Immortal X Men run with his focus on the Quiet Council is what do the X Men actually believe in? You know, it's something yeah. that we t- we take on faith as readers for decades at this point that Professor X believes against all reason in humans and mutants working together. Magneto believes mutants need to stand alone. Here, once again, what Kieran Gillen is playing with is like, is anything that anybody believes correct? What actually backs that up? That led to that great moment that we've talked about a lot with Cypher, two issues back here, I think, or maybe even it was last issue of this title, where he just called Professor X on everything and said, I know you meant the best you did, but you did this entirely horribly wrong. And so now what we're getting here is Professor X dealing really with the fallout of that conversation with Cypher in the worst way possible, and then Exodus picking up, like you're saying, that level of faith, maybe being the new Professor X, maybe being the new Magneto, maybe just once again being a guy who is red, which is the way that I most think about him. But mm, I true. guess we'll have to see.
1: Well, it's also strange to me that I mean uh, Exodus has always been like a zealot uh, mm-hmm. believing in Magneto, and then I guess Krakoa, and now himself, and a a false promised land that may not exist. So like, I don't know, it's worrisome. I think there's been a crisis of leadership in the X world for so long. Growing up and in most of the X-Men's history, Professor X was this unimpeachable leader who was like, who knew what to do, was up against everything. But he was like the gentle but firm, like leader of the X-Men. And then he was corrupted in what, the early aughts with um a bunch of storylines that brought him down and now he's become this sort of naive, like, figure who, like, is just wrong all the time. Like, mm-hmm. he was wrong in his creation of Krikoa. And now he doesn't even know that most of the mutants are alive when we the readers know, a ton of other people know. Why is he the one who is just sitting on a beach? Basically, and, like, I use, I'm going to use the word moping. And mm-hmm. it's actually much, you know, it's a much deeper feeling he has. But he is just like, I'm like, be a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Don't we want him to be a leader? He's not doing that.
0: Well, okay. A couple of things that I want to throw out at you uh, just based on that, and I do think this is interesting stuff to talk about in general about the X-Men, is one, we got into this, I want to say, the last Fall of X episode a little bit, that I do think part of the core of the X-Men has changed because the real world has changed the way we view it. Right. and just reading, I didn't read comics in the 1960s. I wasn't alive then. But like reading comics in the 1960s is a very different experience from reading comics in 2023, and particularly how the fan base interacts with these comics and understand these comics. And I think as readers have become more savvy and more interactive, they've pushed harder and come to understand the idea that in the real world, it isn't this simple. Like you can't have this Professor X Magneto dichotomy. It just doesn't work. Like it doesn't work in the yeah. real world. Things are more complicated than that. Things are more complex. That's certainly what a large part of what Jonathan Dickman I think was doing with creating the Krakoa era or co-creating the Krakoa era to begin with, is to muddy this up a little bit in a more modern context. But I want to throw something else out at you that goes in the opposite direction that I was thinking about while you're talking. Does the X-Men work without Professor X versus Magneto? And what I mean by that Mm. very specifically is thinking about – I was thinking about what you were talking about of like, okay, who – there's a leadership gap there. And they've tried a lot of different things. Like we could see Exodus as the new leader of the X-Men or the mutants. And that's fine and that's a story we could follow. We've had Wolverine was leading the school for a while. Super fun run from Jason Aaron. Yeah. Love that, but it was always a fit of Wolverine being like, why am I here? Why am I leading this school? Yeah. And you do get great leaders of teams like Cyclops, whatever you think, classic leader of the team. Storm, great leader of the team. Kitty Pride has led in other capacities. There's been a lot of different leaders there. But to sort of wrap up what I'm saying and throw it back to you – I I think it gets back to that core of like – I always come back to that paddle Neil Gaiman wrote in 1602 where Mr. Fantastic is telling the thing that he could cure him, but ultimately you're more satisfying this way. And I do wonder if the same thing – It is. Still fucked up. It is, but it gets to the core of what works about comic books and why they're so cyclical. Do you think the same thing applies to the X-Men? Do you think they work without that Professor X-Magneto dichotomy specifically – with those characters or otherwise?
1: Well, I think not necessarily, it doesn't have to be Magneto, but I think it has to be, the X-Men work because they're like, humans hate and fear us, but we're still going to protect them. It's like the above and beyond thing from whatever threat is coming at them. The fact that it's another mutant with another large philosophy built that is in opposition to Professor X is a great relationship. I still think it works if there are other villains. I think the issue here is, With the villains being just really bad, evil humans, it's sort of like, well, now they're not protecting humans. They're just trying to stay alive. And that's a much like less nuanced, like reason for being for the X-Men. And it's just a different story. It doesn't work as well. Like you want the X-Men. I think the classic X-Men is them at the mansion sort of like having relationships being happy and then being really sad because a tragic thing happens and then rushing out somewhere, jumping in the, the, the X-Wing, or the X-Wing. The Blackbird. The, the, the Blackbird. The, the, yeah, the Blackbird. <laughs> and flying somewhere. The Star Wars. We're talking yeah. about Star Wars. They either okay. jump in,
0: in an X-Wing or a TIE fighter, one of
1: the two. <laughs> Are they the Empire, Alex? Uh, jumping in the Blackbird and it's going right. somewhere and fighting a mutant. Uh, that's like core dynamic and we're just so far from that now. Uh, so, I take your point.
0: Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, I'm not 100% sold on it. It's just something that I'm thinking about, particularly with this. I, I would say in the other direction, though, the X-Men by nature is also about change, and you do have these eras that really stress against the core concept. We were talking last week about the Australia era, one of my favorites. Love. If we were in the Australia era for a decade, I think I'd feel weird about it. But having that for a span of time where the X-Men are really these outsiders in a very different status quo, like what we have here, where they're scattered all over the place, ultimately, I think the story is Professor X is on the beach. His job is beach. Uh, Everybody is scattered all over the place. The other X-Men who are left are hiding in the Morlock tunnels under the Hellfire Club. They're all over the place. It's ultimately about how do they come back together? How do they fight back against Orcus? And then the question that I think you're getting towards is what's next after that? Like, What is after the fall of X era?
1: Yeah. And who's going to who are the stars of this? Because right now, especially in this issue, we spend a lot of time with Sebastian Shaw. He becomes a human and then just gets shit on by everyone. I was like, I mean, fun, but like he is he a big player in this? It seems like he's just like he betrayed the the mutants and now he's just has to suffer for it, which is fine. But he still seems to be operating and is maybe going to become an orcas person.
0: Well, he kind of already is. I mean, this is he was sort of working with Orcas, I guess. He was sort of working for Mother Righteous. Ultimately, he's working for himself, uh, is what we get here. But I agree. It was a big it's a big move that's underplayed for comedy to have him be like, sure, I'll take the mutant cure. Yep, I'm not a mutant anymore. My superpower is actually turning cents into billions. I'm a businessman. We have a lot of businessmen in the Marvel yeah. Universe, including Wilson Fisk, who it's revealed buys the Hellfire Club. That seems to be his purpose at being the Hellfire Gala here.
1: Another thing where I'm like, is he around? He's going to be <laughs> just hanging around with, like, White Queen? And they're just like, yeah, let's go do this thing.
0: Let's well, go particularly fight particularly because, here. and this is getting a little off it, but that goes against his last status quo, which was, everybody leave me alone. I'm going off on a boat with Typhoid Barry, my wife. I want to just... Live my life somewhere else and not be involved in any of this stuff. So, for him to be like, now I'm the owner of the Hellfire Club and hated, helping the most hated people on the planet, weird move. Well, maybe he just wants, he's going
1: to just be a landlord and be like, guys, sure. no smoking in the basement. Mm-hmm. I said, <laughs> there's too much hey, bamfing hey, hey, happening.
0: Hey, hey, I talked to the treehouse next door. They said that you're partying too late at night. It's too loud. If you could turn it down a little bit, I don't want to put in a noise complaint with the city.
1: I I agree. It is weird to have him there. Sebastian Shaw being – because like who's the – the leaders of the X-Men at the Hellfire Club appear to be White Queen. She's a a power player now. Yeah.
0: I mean I think that's who our power players are, right? Like we've got Professor X. I think we need to see a turn with him. He needs to have some level of hope or something that turns around. I will say – I love the idea of him running Krakoa as his own mind monster island, like creating these monsters to keep scaring off Orcus and everybody else, as well as Shaw's men. Love that art in there. Lucas Worknock's stuff looked great. So very happy with that. But I think like Professor X is still a focus here. He's still a focal point. He's just at his lowest point uh, which, as we know, a person's lowest point is looking like Kieran Gillen, and then he has to work <laughs> his way up from wow. there. <laughs> no, wow, <I'm> tragic. <laughs> I love Kieran uh, Gillen.
1: Yeah, I, well, and it's At also like it Professor, Professor X being on the island is like, I feel like we just need Cypher to come back. Because mm-hmm. Cypher also feels like he's a power player, but he was taken off the board in this title yeah. Feels like a natural place for him to come back.
0: Well, when we talked about this last episode too, my biggest question is where is Krakoa? Like literally the island, the uh, you know, yeah. great Deku tree of the X-Men universe. When is he going to come back and give somebody a pep speech or something like that? There's a lot of questions there about that. Mr. Sinister is also still in the pit. Like he's still down there. And that to me feels like an element. I don't think we're ever going to get full redemption for Mister Sinister or anything like that. But knowing that the bad guy of Fall of X is a even more evil Mister Sinister, that potentially puts it in a position for like Professor X to go get Mister Sinister out of the pit and be like, "Let's take this fight to Orcus. Let's take this fight to Doctor Stasis."
1: yeah because the mr sinister who's in the pit is a like fun like party sinister
0: (laughs) from krakow and era so
1: he's just like he's a chaos he's like a loki i i consider him Mm -hmm. sort of the loki sinister it feels like that's where kieran probably had a lot of hand in that and making him that so like i think he could definitely join with professor x and um whoever else they got
0: (laughs) to come (laughs) Uh uh Uh, Before we move on to Children of the Ball, there are a couple of things that I want to throw out for you. One, the title of this issue is Sympathy for the Scarlet Witch, which I feel like is a direct call out to House of M and the things there, because she decimated the mutants and Professor X did the same thing. I feel like that's the connection, right?
1: I agree. Yeah, the well and we also have she famously said no more mutants right, right. and then Sebastian Shaw we see him become not a mutant it's sort of, mm-hmm. I think there's a couple echoes of it here in a good way um, I, I like that title it's I. it was a strong
0: choice and yes. I think I, I enjoyed it and last thing to jump back to the end here they are in the desert but they're not in a specific desert like it says no. nowhere no when so where are these mutants what's your theory at this point
1: well, and who sent them?
0: Right. You know, like good, it's, yeah.
1: it doesn't, none of it makes sense. Like, who is this? Is this Krakoa in, in Cypher? Who were like ostensibly they have control of those, of the, the portals, the gateways, right? So, like, I think that would make sense. I, uh, my first assumption was Orocco, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like they're on uh, Mars desert. It feels like they're in a n- completely different place.
0: The last kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spin-off series, The Last Comics on Earth. Too many villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash, puzzle-filled race across apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I feel like there's a reveal coming, and I feel like it has to be a reveal of something we know. I, it would be hilarious yeah. with all this talk if it was the Australian desert, and they're coming right. out of the outback, and they end up at like where the Reavers were back in that era. I don't think that's what it is. I feel like I feel like Professor X can sense Australia. That's one of his powers.
1: Well, that's what. Uh, yeah, he can. Uh, yes. So I don't know. Are they going to dip into other areas of the Marvel universe? You know, there's, could this be a planet that Lalandra will somehow Mm -hmm. hang out in? Like, that's a, there's a connection there to bring back, like... It really could be anywhere. Like, I think it's worth maybe us digging through X-Men history and, and bring it back. Because let's not forget, there was the Australian era we talk about. Then there was the Australian era that um, Chris Claremont came back on. It was extreme X-Men, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Where they were just, for some reason, also in Australia. <laughs> and nobody liked it. There was, like, those new mutants he introduced. That was like One was, like, Lifeguard, and one was, like... Uh, That's just all, a regular guy. Yeah. Lifeguard. Again, his, his job is beach.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Lots of Barbie references in this episode. Why don't we move on to the other issue this week, Children of the Vault. In this one, per the title, the Children of the Vault, who were previously were trapped by Forge, they are not mutants and not exactly humans. They're highly evolved beings who have powers, some of whom are kind of inspired by the X-Men in certain ways. But basically, they go through multiple evolutions, in a very rapid period of time. And what we get here is because the mutants and Forge aren't holding them hostage anymore, hostage prisoner, Uh, they end up getting freed, and then they repaint themselves as heroes called Children of Tomorrow. What struck me is, like, there is big Thunderbolts energy coming off of this title right now. So everybody looks at them as a hero, and the only two people who can try to stop them are Bishop and Cable, who hate Uh. each other, I love this. I I love that. For anybody who doesn't know, because I weirdly didn't give a lot of context for it in this issue, is back in the day, there was a run by Dwayne Swierzynski coming off of the introduction of Hope, where Hope was supposed to be the hope of the mutant people. Cable took her to the future, but Bishop thought this was the reveal after decades, that the horrible future that Bishop came from – was as far as he knew caused by hope. So he yeah. was chasing Cable and hope through time in order to kill hope while cable kept jumping away from him. Fantastic run. Check it out. One of my favorite.
1: Love one of my so favorites. Good.
0: So and I, you, I love, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: I love the relationship between cable and Bishop in that, where they're like, there's so much like, I know we're friends, but Bishop you're out of control. And Bishop's like, I have to kill her. And it's like <laughs> yeah. so intense.
0: Yes. Uh, so, book, what did right. you think about this book? Then, given all of those elements,
1: uh, I the the children of the vault have always been strange to me. Like you say, they they're not mutants technically; they're super powered humans. But aren't they mutants? They're high. Their evolution has changed their composition. This so that is, they have power. This
0: is a problem. This y- yeah. you talk about this a lot, but yeah, the whole idea of like how does everybody in the Marvel Universe see genetic structure just. As yeah. soon as you poke at it a little too much, it doesn't make any sense. How people know that mutants are mutants, but Spider-Man is a mutant, the Fantastic Four are mutants. Like it's, it just it doesn't quite work if you think about it too hard. And so, titles like this, where you have these characters, who, to your point, yes, I would call them mutants. They're powered yeah. like one of them has a Cyclops visor and Wolverine hands at a certain point, and they clearly pulled on a bunch of mutant powers and stuff. They show up, and Orcus has this line. This is the line that sort of like didn't break my brain, but sort of made you know my alarm bells go off a little bit. They cut to Orcus and the Orcus guys say, "The children are a secondary concern. Observe only. We must finish what we started with the mutants." Orcus's yeah. whole thing is human supremacy. I feel like. That to me felt like you could see the plot wheels in motion of we got to do a thing with Children of the Vault and make sure Orcus is over here doing this thing so Cable and Bishop can focus on them, you know?
1: Yeah, and uh, if if Orcus is saying, like, we are fine if with human superpower people, like, who are doing their own thing, and I, I mean, because orc with the reveal at the end of the issue is the Children of Tomorrow just want to kill, like, everybody, <laughs>
0: Well, so okay, this gets into the interesting continuity thing. I think there's a text page. The ultimate reveal is that the children tomorrow slash children of the vault have created this mind virus that makes everybody worship them as gods. And there's a couple of different parts to it that put together to become this mind virus. As cable discovers, one of them is this literal thing that like makes. People worship them as god and but the one at the bottom uh, that I think i don 't know it was the least percentage, but to the overall story we 've been talking about a lot is it 's part techno organic virus which causes right. people to turn into a babel spire, which summons the technarchy to the earth, which is part of the phalanx, which is the um, that 's the big thing like that 's the big thing coming down the pike so To me, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like that's the end goal of the series at this point, is to give us this sub-boss of the children of the vault, but it's eventually gonna start this spark that's gonna bring on the phalanx thing that we know is the big bad in the background. That's interesting.
1: The thing like I've reading the X-Men and especially the the early iterations of the Krikoan era that Hickman was doing. I feel like the phalanx stuff. Will we get to that before I don't they? Because <laughs> we'll in the, the book, it's like so far in the future. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like, what does it look like then? The X Men and Orcas slash humans are, team up to go kill the Falnix in space? I, I don't know if it's in Orcus, the far future.
0: But I could see a sort of scenario, just in terms of comic book planning, that maybe you have like a riff on You could do a riff on Days of Future Past. You could do a riff on Age of Apocalypse, but with the Phalanx. We already had the Phalanx Covenant, but something here's, like here's that. What I, yeah, here's what ahead. I
1: predict. This is a very long-term prediction that will has a very low chance of uh, coming true. I think one series, like the original Guardians of the Galaxy series used to be, where it was set in the far future, and it's a team of X-Men from the future and probably a couple X-Men that are somehow are immortal. Wolverine, most likely. Mm-hmm. are there fighting with what's left of Orcus against the Falnix. And that's just a title that moves forward as we move out of the Krakoan era and have a hard reset on the X-Men, sort of closing the book on all the Hickman stuff.
0: I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if that would be satisfying for me is the only thing. And I know we're not even talking about Children of the Vault right now. But I feel like the most satisfying thing, because the whole point of the story is Moira McTaggart had tried all of these different realities and it never works. So they're finally trying the one thing she's never tried in order to beat the phalanx. I feel like you got to do a thing where, oh, whoops, this thing that we never tried sped up the timeline and they are here now. And and the entire Marvel universe led by the X-Men at the forefront has to go and stop them and save them. And that's what you end up with. I don't know.
1: Uh, I mean, maybe. I just, I don't know. I feel like everyone's appetite for all this was, is waning a little bit or Mm -hmm. was. And if this Get Jin back up, and I am interested in this story.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, weird thing to do on the third episode of our Fall of X podcast that we just started doing.
1: Well, I I don't mean, (laughs) I think Fall of X is the big, is the flashpoint that is moving it forward, but I feel like the vibe around the X Men was like, what's happening? This feels like it's not moving forward. We're in stasis. Mm -hmm. And now with Fall of X, it's moving forward. Dr. Stasis. Uh, I just don't know how will we – the will the momentum last all the way to this? Because that's a far away yes of story. So, like, I, it's going to take a lot to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. Just to get back to Children of the Vault for a second, I know I was talking about some of the wonky things, but there's a lot of stuff that I really liked about this, actually. Um, I liked them saying the dream is over very – yeah, clear pointed thing about it. Professor Xavier's dream is over, but Orca, uh not Orcus, Children of the Vault specifically, like they've been dreaming that they won is the way that they were trapped by Forge. So having that duality there, I thought was very nice. Um, I loved Cable being held prisoner by Orcus, and just slowly working his way out before Bishop screws right. it up. Very fun there. Uh, and all the little dumb Easter egg-y things, like very pointed but very funny, um... There was uh, in the background there was Bucks, which I don't know if they've done before, but I guess Tony Stark owns a Starbucks-style chain. Uh, Cable getting noticed by somebody and then wiping his mind, and the guy saying, "I'm a big fan, Mister Brolin." Yep, very, very fun. funny. Shout good out stuff. to Deadpool yep. too. Uh, Cable's secret hideout is a flower shop called Day Spring. Yep, good. very cute as well. All is uh, and- good. And just the last one that I'll give a shout out to that I thought was very silly and funny is him asked getting asked when did you buy this flower shop and he's like oh I got it in the nineties the 1890s. eighteen nineties and they the cut eighteen nineties and then he says everything was better in the nineties like we get very it. very fun
1: yeah good well, stuff. That- Dennis Camp is a great writer. I love all of his his other work outside of uh, Marvel. And they're worth checking out if you haven't read him before. And I'm really excited that he's I didn't realize he was on this. This is great. And they've picked up on just a super the Bishop Cable relationship like we talked about is super fun. I find it interesting that they're here. And then Faith is sort of in the other book at the forefront, Uh like or sorry, hope.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's a real like renaissance for that mm-hmm. that run. I will say, and maybe this is coming, I want to see a little more friction between the two of them. Like they talk well, about hating each other a lot, but we don't really get to see it, you know?
1: Well, I think Bishop has the mind virus, so mm-hmm. I bet they're going to get some fighting going on.
0: Yeah. Also, not that I minded too much, does Bishop look like 20 years younger to you, the way that he's drawn in this book?
1: Yes. And Cable looks older. Young (laughs) Cable, old Cable. What's happening?
0: It's weird, too, because there's a scene where Cable goes into Bishop's mind and you get three panels of essentially Bishop going back in time. So you see Bishop as he is now. And then you see Bishop sort of like more classic Bishop. And then you see child Bishop. But the classic Bishop is like his face is wider. So I know people's faces change and whatever, but they don't usually get younger.
1: Well, maybe he's on like a different diet. He's working out more. He certainly has less stress because he doesn't think that um, (laughs) the future is going to kill him.
0: That's true. He's just probably blissed out. He's been blissing out for a while, having a good time.
1: I feel like on Krakoa, they had a lot of creams and lotions that really loosened everybody up a little bit, you know?
0: Yeah. I just wrap this one up here. I am excited for where we end up at the end of this issue. I feel like we're getting to it with the mind virus and this crazy over-the-top complicated science stuff that Dennis Cap is really good at writing. We've got the setup with the relationship between Bishop and Cable. We're past the wonky bit about, do we go after our Orcus? No, we're going to go after these guys instead, and they're going to come after us. Um, so, good stuff. Good setup. Uh, excited to see how it, it pans out. Also, very interested to see if it does end up tying into the fat-like stuff at the end there, or maybe it's just hey, let's have a Bishop Cable style title and see what happens.
1: Yeah, well, let's remember that Cable has techno-organic virus as well. So, like, there's a lot of – that's a a little too much to be coincidental. So I bet we're going to get something there, even if it's not barreling forward the way
0: you were talking about it. Before we wrap up here, why don't we talk about what is coming up in the fall of X reading order because there's a big – Big week next week with a lot of titles. We've got Alpha Flight number one is coming out, and this one is uh, the way they're framing it up is like Schism, but for Alpha Flight, where Alpha Flight is very divided between protecting the mutants or hunting down the mutants in Canada. Very rough area to live in. Never go to Canada. Ugh, Real bad. Yeah. Uh, but that's <laughs> as an Alpha Flight fan, I'm very excited about that. Uh, then we Wild. got. Dark, not wild, read the first 12 issues of Alpha Flight. I would argue one of the best runs of all time. It's awesome. Go back, read it. John yep. Byrne, good stuff. Uh, good Dark stuff. X-Men number one, you're going to be super into it. This is a team of X-Men led by Madeline Pryor out of the Limbo Embassy that we were talking about in the middle of New York. Uh, Havoc's on the team. Yes. The Wolverine, who looks like the Wolverine from Weapon X, where he has like the weird machine stuff hanging off of him.
1: Yep. Don't uh, know he's, how he's
0: there as a separate team. <laughs> a couple of other guys are there. Uh <laughs> Nightcrawler's father seems like a very random team of like who's sharp or debotic or weird, but yeah. See what happens. Well,
1: what are they going to do? hang around limbo <laughs> fight limbo. Maybe though the uh, immune are in limbo. We don't know.
0: Yeah. We'll see what happens. And then we got Uncanny Avengers. This is another big one. This is a new Unity team, though it mostly seems like Captain America leading a team of X-Men who managed to hang out on Earth and weren't exiled. No pun intended. Uh, So that should be cool. That's spitting out of the free comic book day books. So they're going to be tracking down Captain Krakoa, who we know is not Scott Summers, but actually... Part of Orcus, and we'll find out more about that. And then we got X Men Red number 14 that is going to build up the whole whatever is going on on Mars and dive into that as a bunch of mutants have been sent there off of Earth. And the last one I'll mention just because it's in the line and it's teased in the back of the X Men books, but it's we're not going to be talking about it on this podcast. Ghost Rider 17 continues the very short crossover between yeah, Ghost Rider. It's a very and
1: light crossover. Yeah, four a issues. Three, yeah, four issues total, three more. It's just ding, ding. It's like a classic summer annual crossover from Marvel.
0: Exactly. So there you go. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Fall of X, except for our co-host, Pete, who would not like to chat with you about Fall of X. Apple, yep. Spotify, not Stitcher, because that's going away at the end of the month. So don't subscribe there. Subscribe literally any other platform at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram or TikTok, Comic Book for this podcast and many more. Until next time, them X, they keep on falling.
1: Hopefully there's a pina colada making mutant left on Krakoa that Professor X can just hook up with. and
0: hang. Dukes, up. Dukes Bar. That would be kind of hilarious if like all the rest of the mutants left except for Fred Dukes who was like, where did everybody go?
1: And he, and he's like a Jimmy, press X becomes a Jimmy Buffett type uh, <laughs> character. Yeah, I
0: guess, I guess I was picturing the scene for the Muppet movie where he says drinks on the house and then they go up to the top of the roof and he's like. Nice, you're, all, you're sort of always picturing that, though. Oh. oh.